we are going through a series on the Lord's Prayer, the most dangerous prayer in the world. Uh, And two weeks ago, Pastor Hutchings brought to us the first petition or the first request, which was, hallowed be thy name. And it's a lot of times we always think that that's a petition or request, but we are asking that God's name would be glorified, that he would glorify his name in this world, and that we would seek with our lives to glorify his name as well. Last week, Pastor Wheat brought us the second and third petitions, which were, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And he reminded us the gloriousness, the greatness of God's will, that is the best. It's greater than we could ever imagine. And what a blessing it is that we get to cry out, thy will be done, not my flawed will. And also that that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. That he would increase his kingdom and that we would participate in that with our very lives. And so today we turn to the fourth petition or the fourth request, which is give us this day our daily bread. Now this is especially dangerous. This prayer is a, this aspect of this prayer is especially dangerous to the kingdom of darkness because of two things. The first is that this is a prayer of dependence. We are asking God for our bread. This is a God-centered dependence that will do great violence to the to the kingdom of darkness. The fact that we have to ask just for our bread that that dependence Is there. That is exactly the opposite of what the kingdom of darkness wants to do. We are dependent on God to give us our bread. But secondly, flowing out of that dependence, because of how great God's will is, we are given the gift and the ability to be content. So we have dependence and we have contentment. We're only praying for what we need today. Not excess, not a lot of, but just what we need today. And we are saying when we pray these words that we will be content with what God provides us. Now that is very countercultural. That is very uh, counterintuitive to the kingdom of darkness. which says, get what you can, grab it, store it up. God is saying, just, just ask for today. I've got it. I've got you covered. And here's the dangerous part. When, we are, when our hearts are filled with the dependence and the contentment of God, we're able to focus our energy to love our family, our neighbors, and the world at large. So we're going to dive into that. I'm, we're going to look at a couple of things here. Uh, but for, what are we looking at? What are we asking when we pray to be given our daily bread? Uh, a man named Warren Wearsby in his book, On Earth as It Is in Heaven, it's a fantastic read. Uh, he points to the order of the Lord's Prayer To help us understand the nature of what this request is to God. He says, it is here that we have the transition from God's program to the needs of God's people. And if we are faithful to put God's concerns first, we are better prepared to seek him about our own needs. We have a God that knows us better than we know ourselves. We have a God who knows our needs better than we know ourselves. And Jesus himself says this uh, in Matthew 6, 33, in the same sermon, in the same speech, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. This is what we're called to seek first the kingdom of God. God will provide you what you need in order to do that. 
So our text is going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, uh, and, and I'm going to pray for that, and I'm actually going to read our text in, in, in my prayer, and we'll dive into that. But here's what I want us to do. I want us to kind of dive into this and look at how we are freed up and how we are called to participate in the worship of God, or the, the, the expanse of his kingdom through dependence and contentment by looking at three words. We're going to do a little word study. I promise this won't be boring, but it, we're going to do a word study. We're going to look at our daily bread. And we're going to examine those three words, but I'm going to do it backwards. We're going to look at bread, daily, hour. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dive in. Lord, I thank you for this day, this day of rest, this day that we are called to set aside our, our worldly ambitions and, our, and, and, and the good things that we do to focus on worshiping you. Be with us now as we, we open your scripture and re, we read your word. I pray that you'd open our ears and soften our hearts, that we would not simply hear your word, that we would receive it. Lord, I do pray that our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Okay, so let's first look at this word bread. We're asking for bread. What is this? Well, it's important to understand that in the, in the Jewish context and when the author was writing this, that bread was symbolic. It was not simply just the loaf of bread, though it was bread, but it was more. Uh, the term bread was symbolic of all our physical needs, uh, our physical essential needs. Food, water, shelter, clothing, the resources to be able to get these things. So this is a prayer for physical things. This is a prayer for all the physical necessities that we need to be able to function. And there's a lot that's going on within that. If we commit to praying the first three petitions, it is only proper that we ask for the nourishment and the protection to be able to carry them out. We're asking for the ability to be able to do what he has called us to do. There's three things I want to look at here is, is, is what the, this, this petition for bread teaches us. First... God is concerned with the physical need and the hunger of his people. A lot of times we can try to turn Christianity into this uber spiritual thing that is not concerned at all with the physical realm. And, but that's not true. God cares for us. God gave us physical bodies. God gave us physical bodies that required food. In the Garden of Eden, before sin came, they needed food. Physical, tangible creation is a part of God and a part of is, is a part of God's creation and part of our relationship. And I think this is very evident by the way that Jesus lived his life, his ministry on earth. How often was he healing the physical needs of people? And he took great compassion on the people that came out to listen to him preach. We, we know of two occasions where he fed 4,000 people and 5,000 people. And not just a little bit, but there were leftovers. God cares for the physical needs of his people. It brings him great joy to meet the physical needs of his people. It is acceptable and it is good for us to ask for the physical necessities of life. Now, there's a lot that goes into that, but we're going to talk about that. Number two, I think this gives us a, a proper understanding of our physical bodies. Okay? There's two extremes that we can go to when it comes to our bodies. One, we can deify them. By turning our bodies into idols as we worship the idols of health or beauty or fitness. 
But on the other end, we're not to despise our bodies and neglect caring for them. Our bodies are a gift from God, part of His creation, and like all of creation, we are called to be good stewards of our bodies, as well as our possessions. We are to care for and enjoy our bodies in a way that fulfills the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer, to the glory of God. And I'm going to explain a little bit more of how we do that in a minute. So number three, this petition shows us that we are called to care for and enjoy all of our possessions, not just our bodies, but the things that God gives to us, in a way that is glorifying to God. We are told to be good stewards, not just of our bodies and our minds and our words, but all of the gifts that God has given to us. This word steward, to be a good steward, is is a very impactful word. A steward was a person often a slave, that was put in charge of caring for the possessions of his master. A good example of this is in the Old Testament with Joseph. After his brother sold him into slavery, he was brought to the, uh, the, the, the property of Potiphar, and because of the way that Joseph lived his life, he was put in the position to be the steward of all of Potiphar's possessions. And so we start to understand there, at no point... Did Joseph own any of the property that he was in charge of? But he took very good care of it. That is what stewards are called to do. We are told to be stewards of the good gifts that God gives us. Because they are not ours. They are our father's. We are stewards of the father's possessions. The father's gifts. We, we prayed this, or we said this out loud in the catechism. What is your only comfort in this, in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. There's power in that. This alone should radically shift our understanding of our physical possessions. They're not ours. They've just been given to us to be good stewards of. Everything. Okay, so that, that right there, that should just shift our thinking. But the prayer goes even further than that. Okay? So what are we doing when we're praying daily bread? To be given our daily bread. Okay, the, the understand that we're asking for bread. That shows us that we are dependent. Right? That's that dependent aspect. Everything that we have... We need to be given by God. Utterly and completely dependent on God. But then we're told to ask for our daily bread. And this speaks to the contentment aspect of this. This prayer, asking for daily bread, is asking that what we receive will be sufficient. Simply put, this is a prayer that asks for enough. Enough. It's very easy. We, we should think, and I think there's, there's very specific of, of what's going on here, is for us to think back to the Old Testament with the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert, when God gave them the gift of manna. Right? They were wandering in the desert. They didn't have food. They were starving, and they cried out to God, and God had mercy on them. And each morning when they woke up, there was fresh manna that was on the ground. And they were told to go out and collect it in the morning. They were told to collect just enough for what their family needed for that day. 
No more, no less. Now what happened is if a family did collect more than they needed for that day, thinking that they would be able to store it up for the next day, it would be rotten. And it would have worms and maggots in it. It would be nasty. Except on the, on the, the sixth day when they're told to do twice the amount so that they could have that Sabbath rest. Okay? We, when we pray to God, when we ask for our daily bread, we're only asking for what we need. And we recognize, and here's the hard part, that that which God withholds from us, we do not need. That's the hard part. That which God does not give us, we don't need for his eternal plan. He gives us enough. Proverbs 30 says something very interesting that I think speaks to this. Proverbs 30, verses 8 through 9 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. We're given the two extremes here, wealth and poverty. It can be easy to think that wealth is the answer to all our problems. And, and, and some people in a knee-jerk reaction to that have said, well, I want to be poor. Give me poverty so that I won't have anything to struggle with. I won't be worried about keeping all my things. But neither of those are the answer. We see a proverb is telling us something. He's saying poverty, this feeling of having not enough, leads to temptation of bitterness and the justification of stealing or taking things that are not ours. On the flip side, wealth or the feeling of having more than enough, you have the temptation of pride and the justification of of denying dependence on God. The answers are not in the things that we have. What we have is enough. God will give us enough. Another thing that this does is that asking for our daily bread also reminds us that we are called to live our life day by day. And we see later on in in this passage, just a few verses later, Jesus talks about what's the contrast of trusting in God, being dependent in God, contrasted with anxiety. Matthew 6.34 says, Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for this day is its own troubles. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. There's something very, very poignant about this statement. It doesn't matter how rich or how powerful or smart or ambitious a person is. No one can live two days at a time. We can't do it. It does not matter. Every single one of us has to live our day, our our life one day at a time. And when we try to live two days at a time, we're rewarded with ulcers. Because we can't do it. We can't do it. Simple, but profound. Now, of course, I see you teenagers in here. Ah, that means I don't have to prepare for tomorrow. Live for the day. That's not what we're saying. Uh, uh, Warren Weasby, again, had something interesting to say to this. He says, while it is foolish 
to ignore yesterday's costly lessons or tomorrow's important responsibilities, it is also foolish to waste today's opportunities by fretting and worrying instead of acting. That's what's being said. The word of God, the gospel, the message that is contained in scripture is described as a double-edged sword. A double-edged sword was a weapon that was especially sharp and it was designed to be able to pierce the armor of an adversary. And a sword that was able to pierce the adversary's armor could pierce the flesh. That's what scripture does to us. And that happened to me this week. I want to share a story with you. Um, as I was preparing this sermon, I kind of got to a point where I had, you know, writer's block. Uh, you get to a point where you can't bring any more information in, you can't put anything more on the paper, and you just get to a point. One of my favorite things to do whenever I'm studying or reading or, or focusing on that is I like to go and have lunch by myself at a restaurant. There's something about sitting at a table by yourself, smelling the food, tasting the food, hearing the, the cacophony of voices all around you that kind of blend into one static sound, and it just stimulates my mind and my heart, and I'm able to put pen on paper again. So that's what I did this week. I went out to one of my favorite restaurants, and I walked in, and it wasn't quite as full as it normally is. In fact, it was only me and about two other tables that were there. And not only that, but there was a new waiter. Uh, I, there's, there's typically, uh, there's always this one, this one woman who, who waits on me when I'm there. She doesn't even give you menu, me a menu because she knows exactly what I'm going to order. She walks up, puts the water down and says the usual. I say yes. And she goes on her way. And so I just pick up my book and I just start reading and studying. And I get this, you know, we, we get into this. This is what we do. Well, today or that day, the waiter was very different. He was very talkative. And I watched him and he was talking with every table and he came up and he, he asked me for my drink. He handed me the menu and asked me for my drink order. And before I could say anything else, he scampered off. And I was like, oh, no. And as he was going, he stopped at both of the other tables and he talked to him, asked him about their life, about their day. And as I'm sitting there trying to read my book, I'm going, oh, no, he is going to take my time away from me. He's going to ruin my study time. So I thought in my head, all right, well, so when he comes back, I'm just going to have my, my nose buried in the book, so hopefully he'll get the clue to leave me alone. And as I was waiting for him to bring me my water, I read that statement of Wearsby. It is foolish to waste today's opportunity by fretting and worrying instead of acting. Right to the heart. And I thought, oh my goodness. In this moment, I'm doing exactly what I'm called not to do. I am passing up an opportunity because I'm fretting about tomorrow. And I thought, how many times do I do this in my daily life? Throughout my week? Am I worried about tomorrow than worrying about acting? And so I put the book down. And when he came back, I looked him in the eyes and we engaged and we talked and he talked about his life and talked about how he loved this new job because he got to talk to all these new people and learn these new things. And, but the cool thing is, is he asked me about what I was reading and I told him, I said, well, I'm reading about this because I'm preparing for a sermon. He says, oh, that's great. I'm new to the area. I'm looking for a church. And so I got to ask, tell him about Highlands and I got to tell him about the gospel. That's what we're called to do. That one hurt. 
But God used it for His glory. That's the beautiful thing. Here's the thing. Not only are our possessions a gift from God, our time is a gift from God. The time that God has given to us is not ours to hoard. It was not my time when I was sitting at that table to be alone. I put myself in a very public place. That was their time. How often do we seek our own time? Now, this is not about seeking rest, seeking alone time. These are good things. God knows that. He gives us a day of rest. He knows that we need rest. But we cannot worship the idol of our time. How often do we pass up on opportunities because we want to be by ourselves or, or we want to be in a safe a, a place that we know we won't be challenged or pushed? Or Our time is not ours to hoard. We have a responsibility. And here's the thing. When we understand that God has given and will continue to give us exactly what we need for this day, it helps us understand that we also have everything we need for every opportunity he gives us to glorify his name, to seek his will and his kingdom. That's what frees us up to seek his will and his kingdom and his glory. Because we know that if God has put an opportunity in your life, he's going to equip you. Seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added to you. But the prayer, this petition takes it even further. The fact that we ask for bread shows that we are dependent. The fact that we ask for our daily bread shows that we can be content with what God gives us. But then there's that word, our. And this is the dangerous part to the, to the uh, kingdom of darkness. The fact that we ask for our daily bread. This request is an intercession for all people, or for all of God's people, for all Christians. This is a family prayer. Though we do not know every Christian on earth, when we pray the Lord's pray, prayer, we pray it with and for every believer on earth. This is radical unity. When we pray this prayer, we're praying it with and for every other believer on earth. But that shouldn't surprise us because God's people have been called to radical unity from the beginning. And flowing out of that radical unity, we're called to a radical generosity as well. Look all the way back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, when God is giving his covenant promises to Abraham, he says this. He says, I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God blesses us for the sole purpose of us blessing others. That is a radical generosity. That is a radical other-focusedness. I'm going to make up a few more words as we go on. Just stick with it. All right, so... I, I recently saw something in the sports world that made me pause. Uh, Derek Carr is the quarterback for the Oakland Raiders of the, of the NFL. And he recently signed a contract that made him the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Now, as a lifelong Denver Broncos fan, it brings me great 
pain to say anything nice about my rival, the Oakland Raiders. But here goes. Because he just signed this massive contract, he was doing uh, a press conference, and the people asked him, the reporters were asking you know, about this money. This is amazing. You've, you've reached this pinnacle of success. What are you going to do? You know, what does this money mean to you? And you probably have seen this because it's, it's circulating on social media all over the place. But he says the very first thing that he was going to do is that he was going to continue to tithe. He was going to give his 10%, just like he had always done. He said, this money doesn't change. doesn't change me. doesn't change that. I will continue to tithe. Now, that's admirable. And I, and I can't speak to what his, his relationship with God is like or what his life looks like. But with those words, that's admirable. That's a good thing. But it's what he says shortly afterwards that really got at what we're trying to learn here. Okay? He says, the exciting thing about this money, honestly, is that it's going to help a lot of people. I am very thankful to have it and that it's in my hands because it is going to help people, not only in this country, but in a lot of countries around the world. That's why this money is exciting to me. He understands, at least with his words, the ourness of the blessing that God gives us. Remember, I'm going to make up more words. Ourness. The things that God gives to us are not mine, they're ours. The ourness of God's blessings. Now, of course, the cynic inside of us says, well, if I had millions of dollars, I could afford to be generous. Maybe. But you don't have to have a million dollars to be generous. We must understand the ourness of the blessings that God has given to us. There was a man who was a bishop in the 4th century. He was called Basil the Great or Basil of Caesarea. Uh, and he was known to be a great advocate for the poor people in society. And he had this to say about possessions. Again, this was very convicting. This is another piercing the heart moment. This is what he says, obviously translated and updated. He says, that bread that is spoiling in your house belongs to the hungry. Those shoes that are just sitting under your bed, never to be used, belong to those who have no shoes. The clothes that you have stored away in your trunk belong to those who are naked. The stuff we have, the things we have, are ours. We have a responsibility to use what we've been given to feed and clothe those who do not have food or clothing in that moment. Now, I want to be be careful that that, that you're not hearing me say give moldy food to people that don't have food. Give your good food before it goes moldy. Right? This goes back to that thing. We don't need excess. We don't need excess. We need enough. And when we are gifted and blessed with more than enough, which God will give you, He's giving it to you so that you can share it. As I was reading through this, I thought, I know for sure there is a loaf of bread molding on my counter right now. I was like, ugh, again. Stewards. We are called to be stewards of everything that is given to us. God is prepared to give us what we need so that we are able to seek 
and accomplish His will. We are not manufacturers of God's blessings. We are distributors of God's blessings. A lot of times it can be easy to get caught up in just this feeling of, of I've achieved, I've done worked really hard, I've gotten what I what I've have because I deserve it. These are my blessings. We can kind of feel like we have actually manufactured these blessings. They were given to us. Every good gift, every good and perfect gift we have received from the Father above. Everything. We are not our own. The things of this world are not our possessions. They're not my possessions. They're our possessions. Gifted by God. Our bread is not ours to hoard. It belongs to our neighbors as well. To pray, give us this day our daily bread, is to radically re-examine ourselves and to acknowledge the responsibility that we have to seek the needs of our neighbors. And that can be intimidating. It is our responsibility, but remember, God promises to give us exactly what we need to accomplish it. And here's the the, the amazing thing about this. Even when we start to think about, you you know, you you start to think about the what ifs. Well, what if I had this in my life? Or if only I had this. Or maybe I had this. Then my life would be great. I would be so fulfilled. I would be so generous. But here's the thing. Ephesians chapter 3, and this this should be a, a familiar passage to you, says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine. And that's going to be our, our benediction after, after today's day service. But you've heard that before. But what's he saying? What's that text saying? God is able to do more than we even have the ability to ask. Or have the ability to imagine. So think about that. Your wildest dreams... The craziest scenario of wealth and power and generosity and the greatest thing you can imagine pales in comparison to what God is already doing in you, for you, and through you. Not going to do it is doing. Your wildest dream pales in comparison to what God is doing in you, through you, and for you. If this knowledge doesn't free us up to live for the glory of God, for His will and His kingdom, nothing will. We are to ask for our bread. We are dependent on God. But we are content in God because God will give us enough. And flowing out of that, we are freed up to love the people in our lives, to love our family, to love our neighbors. Knowing that God will give us enough. But there's more than that. Jesus kind of sets up what's going on here. A few chapters early, earlier in chapter 4. He says, man cannot live on bread alone. And this goes to that dependence part. There's no food or drink or possession on this earth 
that will keep you alive forever. The fact that we have to ask for daily bread reminds us of our frailty. The food that we eat stays in our body for a short amount of time and then it's gone and we need more. The water that we drink stays in our body for a short amount of time and then we need more. The clothing we wear will rot. Our cars will break down. Our houses will collapse. We cannot live by bread alone. The things of this earth are not what satisfies us. The things of this earth are not what saves us. And it is no coincidence that just a few verses later, in verse 35... Jesus calls himself the bread of life. Jesus is the everything of life. It is through Jesus alone that we are given all that we need to live here on earth for as long as he ordained and eternally with him. We cannot look to our things, our abilities, our time, we look to Jesus, the bread of life. We are able to be content and generous with the gifts that we receive because we know that Jesus is coming back. We know that this temporary status of hunger and pain and suffering will end. It's not perpetual. It will not continue. Jesus says, I will care for you now. I'm coming back and I will make it right. The pain we feel from lost loved ones. The pain we feel for sick, for sick loved ones. The, the loss, the fear, the anxiety. It's temporary. Because Jesus says when he returns, there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more hunger. And he tells us, and this passage always gets me, that he will wipe away the tears from our eyes. The intimacy of that statement always gets to me. When my child cries and I see the tears, I want to wipe them away. I don't want my child to feel that pain. That's what Jesus is going to do and is doing for us. He is the bread of life. He is our everything. He gives us exactly what we need. He gives us enough because He's going to bring us into the eternal excess of His presence. Amen to that. We're free because we're dependent. We're content because we have enough. This is my prayer for us. And this is what I'm going to close with. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes these words. And this is what my prayer for us is. I have learned to be content no matter the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret to being content in any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. May that be our prayer day in and day out. We're going to close with the Lord's Prayer. Please uh, pray with me the words that he taught us to say. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, be with us today. Teach us, show us that you are enough. You will give us enough. Lord, may that create a radical generosity within us that we would seek your will, your kingdom, and the glory of your name. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.